Welcome back to the post-game show on the podcast. Doug Lamarice, Bill Landis after Ohio State's 35-16 win over Rutgers and Landis right off the top. I would like get to give people permission to skip this. <laughs> Fair. I think that's, yeah, you know, treat, treat, treat yourself to a nice little Saturday. Go for a walk. Yeah. It's beautiful outside here in Columbus. Beautiful. Do something else. It's okay. We're giving you that permission. If you want to talk about this game, because it does matter on a couple fronts, right? It does. Mm -hmm. It does matter because there are things that happen today that you can view Rutgers as sort of like a very JV version of Michigan, which would inform us about how things might go on the last Saturday in November. But what we like to do on this show is to start with something that we liked about Ohio State's performance. So where would you like to begin that conversation, Bill, before we get into everything else that people are going to listen to? I would begin that conversation with what I thought was the the play of the game. Uh, Travion Henderson, 65-yard completion on third and nine, drive that ends up uh, with a touchdown for Ohio State to take a 28-19 uh, to 19 lead, I believe, I believe it was at that point, or 28-16, excuse me. Um, just a really nice play, I think, all around. Uh, and and it's it's Trivion doing a lot by himself. But then when you watch the replay of it, I, I came to appreciate a few different things that happened on that play to to make it so. But but the the lead of that is is Trivion catching the ball short of the sticks, erasing an angle on a linebacker, and then turning what would have just been a perfectly fine you know thirteen yard gain into a 65-yard game that gets Ohio State down into the red zone and they finish off that drive with a touchdown. But on that play, it starts with Josh Simmons and Donovan Jackson on the left side of the offensive line doing a nice job of picking up a twist that you know wasn't perfect. They didn't stone the guy, but, but Donovan Jackson got back enough to kind of knock the rusher coming up the middle off his path and giving Kyle McCord time to check the ball down to Travion. Uh, Travion does his thing to get into space, and then further down the field, I thought you had two pretty good blocks mm -hmm. from Julian Fleming and Xavier Johnson to turn that into a big back-breaking hit against Rutgers. So on, on a day when... There weren't a whole lot of plays that looked that way for Ohio State in terms of everything sort of being synced up perfectly at, at just about every position within the offense. Um, that play stood out to me, and and certainly at that moment you thought, like, you know, is, is Rutgers going to win this thing? What's going to happen here? And Ohio State flips the field, scores a touchdown, and it's kind of over from that point. Let me ask, right? So I, asking a lot of questions this week of, of Ryan Day and Ohio State players about big plays because neither Rutgers nor Ohio State had a lot of play of 40 yards or more coming into this game. They were the only two defenses in the country that could say that. And asking Ryan Day, are big plays by accident? Are big plays planned? Was that by accident or was that planned? Because here's my question, and, and you sent some information about this out to our texters. That sort of looks like a check down in the moment, but there are a lot of deep routes on that play that have not even fully developed by the time Kyle McCord decides to go to Travion Henderson in the middle of the field. That looked schemed mm -hmm. that we're going to run defenders off and then get it to Travion and see what happens. Did you think that play was planned and executed as they drew it up? Yeah, I, I don't think they're drawing it up for 65, but but I do think they were drawing it up to to get the ball to Travion. There. Like he's first read? You think he's first read there? That's kind of how it felt to me. Or maybe yeah. maybe maybe he's hot. I, I don't know. There wasn't a, a blitz there. They ran a stunt up front, but they didn't they didn't bring extra guys. They dropped seven in the zone coverage, and there's four 
pretty vertical routes there. Like it's third and nine, you have to run vertical routes, I suppose. But these guys are running, you know, 20 yards down the field almost. And it does, it did feel like to me they were clearing that out a little bit for Travion, who just kind of ran a simple curl out of the backfield right over the ball. And he looks like he's expecting to get the ball immediately. Like as soon as he, as soon as he whips his head around, he's expecting the ball to be there and the ball is there. So I I thought that was designed for him. It'll be, I don't know if Ryan Dale could ask about it post game or not. Um, Maybe it's something that comes up on Tuesday, but I, but I thought that was an instance of assuming that Rutgers was going to do what it did there, which is drop basically everybody in the coverage, take away all your vertical options, and then kind of using that against them and getting a, a pretty speedy, explosive guy in space. Kyle did also find Travion a lot on actual, for sure, checkdowns today. Travion yep. wound up wound up with, uh, I believe, five catches on five targets for eighty yards. Now sixty five are on that one play. And I think we can get into more of like how Kyle McCord's seeing it and stuff. But I do think that there's an important distinction there. All the credit to Travion for, as you said, blowing up that angle. And again, whenever people ask us or wonder to themselves, hey, why does Julian Fleming get the run that he gets? I mean, he usually makes two or three blocks a game that remind you of why he's out there. Mm -hmm. And this was another circumstance of that. So one of the things Ryan Day was talking about was big plays come from execution. Right. That that's it's almost like accidental through execution. And that feels like a perfect example of that to me that, no, you don't you're not drawing that up for 65. But you're thinking to yourself, if we run these guys off, Kyle makes a read. Travion can beat his one guy and then we get a couple blocks down the field. We've got a chance to pop this. Mm -hmm. I think like that. It's like, okay, it doesn't have to be a ball that's in the air for 50 yards to get a 65 yard play. And just the way things were on, you know evolving for Kyle McCord on the offense today. Like it was pretty clear they weren't going to get a 65 yard pass play that way. So to get it this way was just like a perfect combination of what was working. They went to, and it, I don't know. They probably win without that play, but it went from being dicey to, I think everybody watching the game as an Ohio state fan, be able to take a breath. Yeah, I mean, you were you were staring at a situation there where the defense was absolutely going to have to win you the game, and and perhaps you didn't feel great about that. To, to, you know, depending on on what your view was of how how things went at certain junctures with Rutgers' offense against Ohio State's defense, but that that sort of flipped things there and and kind of put it back into the offense's hands and created a cushion that Rutgers just really isn't built to come back from. So I want to talk about uh, what I liked, but but let me say something real quick, which is, you know, it's not an excuse, but it's a reminder. Notre Dame had an opportunity today at Clemson, didn't get it done. Notre Dame loses to Clemson. Wisconsin and Nebraska are two teams that are fighting. Fighting. Anything I don't know if fighting is the verb to use in the Big Ten West. Uh, me <laughs> Trying to meander their way to a Big Ten West title. They both lose to teams that came into today without Big Ten wins. So Wisconsin loses to Indiana and Nebraska loses to Michigan State. Old Miss just escaped. Old Miss is like a top 15 team, right? Just escaped because Texas A&M missed a field goal in the last play of the game. And Texas just beat Kansas State in overtime because Kansas State ran a ridiculous fourth down play where the quarterback fell down in overtime trying to win. So there are days that you have a bad day as a team, as a highly ranked, highly talented team, and you lose or you almost lose. And this wasn't that. They didn't look great in a lot of areas, but in the end, they even covered Right. Like if you got if you got the bet the right way, they even covered because of the thing that I like the most and everybody watching this like the most for Ohio State, which is red zone defense. And the fact that Rutgers, the stats said they got had six red zone trips. I think I only wrote down five. But anyway, 
they were Rutgers was four of six in the red zone, but they but they didn't score touchdowns in the red zone, which is like the whole thing. So the idea that in the first half, Rutgers has a first and ten at the twelve yard line, they end up kicking a field goal on fourth and two at the four. They have a first and goal at the four yard line. They wind up kicking a field goal on fourth and goal at the three. They have a first and goal at the two yard line. They wind up kicking a field goal on third and goal from the two because it's right at the end of the half. Um, they wound up throwing their, their interception was when they were trying to do something other than just pound the run game. That was actually at the 20 yard line. That's in scoring territory that turns into nothing. And then late in the game, they have a first and goal at the nine um, and they wind up on a fourth and goal at the six getting stopped on downs on the sack by Ty Hamilton because they had to go for it at that point. We can talk about the decision-making of Rutgers there, Landis, but again, once again, just like against Wisconsin, that was so critical, the Ohio State defense stands up and turns potential sevens into threes for an offense. You know, when you have Kyle guy running the ball and Gavin Wimsett as a run threat, you know, that's a team that at least has some options in the red zone. Yep. And the fact that Ohio State didn't allow that, I mean, they were Ohio State was lucky to have held Rutgers to nine and only be trailing nine seven at the half. When I mean it, I, it, I mean it easily could have been seventeen seven, mm-hmm. right? That's not yeah. a stretch. No, no, not at all. And and to your point, like Rutgers came into this game number twenty one in the country in red zone touchdown percentage. I think because they have the run threat of Gavin Wimsat when they're down in that area of the field, and Kyle Ungai is a really good running back, and their offensive line is like serviceable. So like they do a good job of finishing drives. They scored twenty one touchdowns on twenty nine red zone trips coming into this game. Um, you know, you can look up and down their schedule and say, like, well, they haven't played a ton of tremendous defenses. That that's that's fair, but it had been a strength of, of theirs regardless. And Ohio State, um, similar to I think how how it's done all year, um, teams move the ball on them at times, and it's super frustrating. I get probably the most frustrating it's been in this game um, with some of the ways that it happened. But they they do a really good job of walling up in the red zone, and and they did it yeah. again, and, and, a, and a few different guys stepped up in those moments uh, to do so. And I, I thought the last one, um, the stunt that they ran with Tyleek Williams and it was a Jack Sawyer and then yeah, Ty Hamilton ends up getting there. the sack yeah. uh, on that play. It, it looked like the route that they wanted to go to Rutgers. That route was capped by true freshman cornerback Jermaine Matthews and true freshman safety Malik Hartford, who had the play in the game because Josh Proctor got hurt. So, you know, I, I you probably give more of the credit to the defensive line on that play, but, but two young guys there took, took the first read away from Gavin Williams that too. We're, we're dealing once again, and we'll get into Kyle McCord. We're not going to do it right off the bat. We're not going to be able to go to Ryan Day live in the post game, so I want to say one more thing, and then we do have information about what Ryan Day said post game that we have to get to. But you know, they're still not all the way healthy. So obviously, Cade Stover doesn't play in this game. Like he wasn't on the injury report, right? So like I don't know why. No. Why is he not questionable? If like no, he's not going to play. So they're not great on the injury report. Um, but in the end, he doesn't play. Denzel Burke is out. After playing last week, which we didn't necessarily expect, we did know that Lathan Ransom was going to be out. And then Josh Proctor gets hurt in the middle of the game. So you wind up in a situation where you're not yourself on the back end when their secondary play has been one of the highlights of this team. Cade Stover is an important part of that offense. I didn't think Emeka Buka looked all the way back today, right? Do you agree with that? He looked a little rusty. Yeah, slow, slow, not explosive maybe. I thought the jet sweep, right? It looked like regular, healthy Emeka does more with that. And also the the play earlier in the game where he caught the ball near the sticks and just like kind of went out of bounds like that was that was weird yeah yeah it almost felt like I, I 
it looked like maybe he was getting ready to dive for a first down. And then like when he planted his foot to do something, he could feel it in mm-hmm. his ankle, which like, I don't know what to tell a guy. It's like you, you, you go to make a move and you have a shooting pain in your leg. Right. So, so they're not themselves and they won by 19. H- how should we be factoring that in here? Because again, and we've been talking about this a lot all year. There's some true freshmen. Their, their true freshman depth is pretty good. That's mostly mm-hmm. been talking about Jermaine Matthews at corner and Carnell Tate at receiver. But now you throw Malik Hartford at safety into that. What do we make of that in a game like this? It's, I, I guess I would say that like I didn't, of all the guys who sort of like had to step up, I, I didn't really find a single one of them all that impressive. Maybe Jermaine Matthews would be the one that I, that would say so. Um, I thought Malik Hartford, missed a few tackles um i didn't think g scott blocked very well or he blocked inconsistently which i guess doesn't make him all that different from from what kate stover has done as a blocker but he also had that critical drop over the middle of the field so i i I was left wanting a little more from from a game where he was put more into a spotlight so they overcame it i don't i don't know that i would come away from this thinking oh their depth is a strength and and uh you know this is a testament to how, how how deep the buckeyes are i think they more or less got by um, then they did show me anything that was overly impressive. All right, let's talk about the punt. Ryan Day post game says that it's not a called punt. So, not a called play. Called it a miscommunication. Miscommunication that can't happen. Uh, do they have a special teams coach? Yep. Are those players coached by an adult human? Or is mm-hmm. it an algorithm? Is it it's a, a real child? guy? It's a real person. Parker Fleming cannot be back next year. Can't no, be back no. next year. I yeah. get that it probably throws you off a little bit, like to fire the special teams coach in the middle of the year. I don't know exactly what you do. He can't be back. He can't be back. He can't be back. He can't be back. Right? They do. Yeah. No, they do have. <laughs> what makes this special teams performance all all the more damning is that. I believe I have this right. They brought in two quality control assistants in the offseason to focus specifically on special teams, and it's worse. So I think he could do something if he wanted to. I don't, I, I don't even have those guys' names off the top of my head. I, I apologize. But um, I think you're probably right. You can't do anything now, you know, with three games left in the regular season. But it's a joke. And he makes half a million dollars, and his you know, his unit has not done anything impressive. And in fact, they've looked like a liability in most games. What did he see? Right. So if there's an overload, if there's a, th- he didn't come close. Yeah. And I, sometimes I wonder, and I just, I guess I, I say it because he's from Australia. Right. And so mm-hmm. I don't want to be, I am not here to be anti-Australian. That's the last thing I want to be, but he did this against Rutgers. Was it last year or two years ago? Last year, last year when he did it, it, it led to, mm-hmm. Point. I'm pointing at you because he did it and made it in a blowout. And it was like, what are you doing? Faking a punt and a blow. I was like, well, it's just a read. Now he does it in a game where it matters and doesn't come close to making it. We think that we thought the finger pointing was bad. I would much rather have finger pointing than this. <laughs> Sometimes when he does things like that, I say to myself, does he understand the rules of American football? <laughs> and that is not. I'm not saying that no Australians understand the rules of American football, but has he been told by the adult human who's paid to sit in a room with him how this all works? 
when that play happens, don't you think to yourself briefly, does he know the rules? Well, it's a heck of a play in Aussie rules football, right? I know. Yeah, which is what he like did he, before he came over here. Yeah. He forgot the sport he was playing? Yeah. So, But it's coaching, right? I mean, we're not, yeah. you know, also it's a terrible play by the individual player. But like that you, that, that opportunity is allowed to exist uh, is absolutely mind-blowing and um you know Rutgers had a terrible special teams play that really hurt him too yep should have been blocked by Ohio State should have been blocked but I even then I felt like right the Ohio State guys were worried about getting a running into the punter yeah Arvell Reese like like pulled up yeah Yeah. so they pulled up so even that of like I mean I'm not blaming Arvell Reese there he's a true freshman playing special teams but again he's not a thousand percent locked in of like okay when can I go when can I not when I have which I would go back to coaching again I agree so, yep. like, they're going to lose a game. Oh, wait, it already happened. Sorry. Hmm. I was going to say they're going to lose a game that really matters because of special teams, but they've already lost two. So he can't be back. Like, this is a test for Ryan Day, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and if he's just back, it's the only thing I'm going to ask about in spring football. So we can yeah. get to that later. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I get called on spring football, my question will be, why is Parker Fleming still on this staff? You're the head coach. You're in charge of this. You're not giving your other 120 players the best chance to win when you have this unit coached by this person. And that that unit has had repeated failures. Is there no accountability? It's everybody else is accountable at Ohio State. How is the special team coach not accountable? So, like, it has to end. And maybe it ends Monday. It'd be interesting. But it has to end at the end of this season, at the very latest. No, I I think when that play happened – the first thing I thought, like, is he going to fire Parker Fleming? Like, are they going to not have a special teams coordinator on Monday? Okay. Um, I think that's unlikely to happen, but I think there's also a non-zero chance that happens, right? And I, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to undersell the importance of having organized special teams and just like doing it on a whim and throwing somebody else there. No, I know, don't. I know, I know they don't. I know they don't. But I don't. I don't. Uh, I, want, I don't mean to pretend like oh, it's special teams. Anybody can do it and just throw them that's out cool. there in the tenth uh, game of the season and see what happens. But um, before it was a conversation about the staff balance being out of whack, and that convert that point still remains. And now they're also deficient there, which is, was true, you know, beforehand. But it's just it's glaringly so now. <sighs> so there's another thing that you said during the game today, which was it felt like to you that the Ohio State linebackers missed a fair amount of tackles. Do you still think mm-hmm. that? Yeah, I thought the linebackers and, like I said, Malik Harford, like once he got in there. Missed some tackles too. Other like I thought Josh Proctor and Sonny Styles played played pretty well. Um, did not think Steel Chambers had a good game. Did not think Cody Simon had a good game. Tommy was a little better, but but also I thought missed some tackles. And then he got hurt at the end of the game and had to leave and went back up the tunnel to the locker room. So we have, need to monitor that now as well. But um, the linebacker play like mid, mid, what five or so games into the season was not very good. But then it felt like they had turned a corner a little bit and had strung a couple of good games together. I thought this was a step back. I thought this, this like the. I have to go back and rewatch it, but my first impression of the reason why Rutgers was able to find so much success running the football is that the linebackers were not playing very well. I know that Kamanongai was second in the Big Ten in rushing yards coming into this game. I think he was averaging ninety three a game, twenty four for one fifty nine. So we had the big forty five yarder on the uh, very uh, ingenuitous trick play, hmm. but even beyond that. 
he's over 100 yards, like legitimately, with a pretty good, pretty decent yards per carry average. Um, if you fired Parker Fleming, you could make James Laurinaitis the linebackers coach starting tomorrow and let him coach that unit and let Jim Knowles scheme up stuff and spread out the special team stuff. So, like, given the way this game played out, a coaching move there would actually potentially help two things. Yes. I think we are to believe that that's sort of already happening at linebacker anyway, but yeah. um, I'm in favor of like making it official, official. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so this defensive effort though, it's a safety driven defense, right? And mm -hmm. to come in without Lathan ransom um, and to lose Josh Proctor in the middle of the game, you know, I, there were moments they were bringing the safeties on some blitzes sometimes and being disruptive with those yep. guys. There was a play down the field, right, where Sonny Styles got caught in a coverage and had a pass interference call. And again, it, it reminded me of going back, you know, talking to Sonny about this a couple of weeks ago. And he was basically saying, like, he, he does feel more natural doing linebacker things. And then Jim Knowles this past week was talking about, like, oh, yeah, no, I think we could play him at deep safety, whatever. And I was like, I don't you know, I don't know about that. If that's the best use of that, it's a tough spot. I mean, to lose Lathan and to lose Josh in the midst of the game and then have Sonny in a situation where maybe he's asked to do the things as still a fairly young player that he's not the best at. Um, I it like it didn't, it didn't ruin the day for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I thought it in and of itself as a bit of an accomplishment. And then they still had some of those safeties making plays. Yeah, it didn't. It was fine. I, I I think I'm at the point where I don't love Sunny in coverage. Um, down, I don't at think least Sunny loves Sunny in coverage. Yeah, yeah. Which is like part of me is taking my my cue from him. But there's just been he's made a play or two, right? I, I don't want to act like he's ne not done anything, but he's right. had given up a couple. He gave up a few against Maryland. Um, some tough matchups there. He got the pass interference call today. I think maybe he's had another pass interference call early in the year, from if I'm not mistaken. Maybe maybe it was a holding call. I just don't think it's his strength. Like he can do it, but I don't. I don't know that I want to rely on him to do that. Now at the moment, they probably don't have a choice because I don't think Malik Hartford is ready, um, and they don't really have anybody else there. We saw Kai Stokes get into the game today, like yeah. in their dime package ahead of Cameron Martinez. Like maybe Kai Stokes can do it, but you are you're sacrificing a, a lot of size and speed there. I'm not saying play Kai over Sonny, but I, I maybe like Sonny down closer to the line of scrimmage. You know, the, the more as this season has gone on, I think I think that's more natural for him, which is. Like can he play Will linebacker? I, I I don't know if if Cody Simon and Seal Chambers are inconsistent. Can Sonny play in that spot next to Tommy? Uh, maybe that's worth looking at. Um, as things are right now, maybe maybe you can't because you're too short-handed on the back end of the defense. But like I didn't, there was an opportunity for that position to be a liability in this game, given how short-handed they were, and perhaps a better offense would have taken advantage of that. Gavin Wimsat was not a particularly accurate thrower in this game, um, but it was fine. Like they, they got by without it. And and like Sonny's still a playmaker. He needs to be out there. Just yeah. maybe not in the, in the spot that he's in. But yet the secondary makes a huge play in the game. Mm -hmm. So they try to throw the little pop pass off yeah. a run action with the quarterback. It's a good wrinkle by them. I understand why Rutgers tried it. You know, they had been down in the red zone. They had not gotten into the end zone. They're going to try something else here. It winds up turning into a pick six. It's just a devastating. I mean, things. An 85-yard pick six. It's a devastating play. It reminds me of the, the game a couple weeks ago when Washington didn't score an offensive touchdown and wound up winning a game on a pick six because the defense stands up and in the red zone makes a play and runs it back the other mm -hmm. direction. But that's like a play, right? Proctor sort of makes a read on that play. Jordan Hancock's in the right place at the right time. You get a little bit of a break on the bounce. But as much as, we, you know, they're kind of stapling it together in the secondary today. But yet in that moment, 
rather than getting fooled, it's certainly not a trick play, but, but rather than biting on something, guys are in the right spot. Josh Proctor gets hurt on the play, but it turns into a pick six. I think that still is like indicative of even when the secondary is not at its best, it still has playmaking capabilities that showed up right when they needed them. Yeah, it did. And it, and it balanced out. Like I, I actually didn't think Jordan Hancock had a great game in coverage. Um, or maybe he was just put in some tough spots with some of the blitzing they were doing. Yeah. Um, but he gave up a few things, but you know, if it, when a guy balances it out with a 93 yard pick six, it's hard to get too upset about that. Yeah. So, um, what did you think? So one of the other things that I think is, is not, I think it's worth Ohio state fans having this in their mind. Um, they don't Ohio State does not play Rutgers next year. Mm-hmm. So it's that's a, one of the saving graces of this new version of the Big Ten is that Ohio State is getting out of a world. As much as Ohio State and Ohio State fans will miss playing Penn State every year, nobody's gonna miss Ohio State playing Indiana, Rutgers, and Maryland every year. So that's gonna be fun for Ohio State to not play them every year. Gavin Wimsett right now is not ready. He's not all the way ready to win a game like this. He played four games in his first year. This is his third year. So I think, right, they preserved the red shirt that year. Mm -hmm. So he would be a fourth-year junior in 2024 when Ohio State doesn't play him. And then I'm I'm assuming he'll be back as a fifth-year senior in 2025 when Rutgers does come to Ohio Stadium. If Gavin Wimsett was like two more years down – the road of being of being ready to try to win a game like this, this could have been a much rougher day for Ohio State because yeah. instead Rutgers is competing in the first half like with not throwing passes. They're not competing pass, passes at all. And then he starts com- completing a couple in the second half. He's a he's a really interesting player. He's just still developing. Um, Rutgers with him, if they keep playing defense like this and he gets to year five, they could be a they could be a problem that year like a little bit it's the way a a program like that should build but i did think ohio state was saved a little bit today by the fact that he throwing the ball he's not ready for a defense like ohio state running the ball he's a threat yeah running yeah and and that's that's why Rutgers has found you know some success as an offense this year they're they're much better this year than they were last year they're arguably the most improved offensive team in the country even though they're still not very good on offense um he he missed like a couple one one egregious miss like Jordan Hancock mm. got beaten with a double move and and yeah. Gavin was just overthrow. There's a little bit of pressure there, but like a better quarterback I think completes that pass and it's probably a touchdown. Um, so yeah, it's 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 interesting. Like if you're I don't know monitoring things as they're getting as they're building in in the Big Ten. I I thought Rucker showed a little something. All right, let's talk about Kyle McCord. Let's what did you it. think of Kyle McCord today? The middle of the game was horrendous. Um. He was 11 for 11, one of five, then seven for his last 10. And that one of five uh, was about as bad as I've, <laughs> as I've seen five throws from a quarterback look, I think. Um, there was the the drop from Julian Fleming in there that yep. I thought was an inaccurate pass. Um, it hit him in the hands, probably should have caught it. Fleming has had some issues with drops. Marvin Harrison Jr. probably catches that pass. Um, but I didn't think it was a tremendous throw. It was a little off target. Um he had the ball to Marvin Harrison down the sideline where Marvin was open and had to step on the defender and he underthrew him and invited the coverage back into the play. And maybe there was a little bit of contact there, but it was a bad throw. And then the interception I thought was terrible. Um, stared Marvin Harrison down on the out route and then threw the ball way too flat with a defender underneath and, and allowed him to, to pick that pass off. And um, 
you know, if he wanted to see him bounce back and be a little more accurate and make some better decisions, I don't think you saw that in this game. Um, so I don't know. I'm kind of where I've where I've been, which is like he needs to be better, and he's really not getting better. So that the the pick on that throw to Marvin didn't seem like a bad decision, right? No, it was, Marvin, yeah, it was yeah. there, but mm-hmm. it was just a a bad throw, and it, and it's one of those. I mean, that's the over the linebacker in front of the safety. Like that's like a they do that a thousand times a practice, right? Like that is a mm-hmm. pretty um generic throw that a quarterback at this level has to make and you know sometimes you get picked because you don't see the linebacker underneath that definitely was not it that was like a and then you start wondering i don't know like the foot the ankle's a thing but that was just like a failure of like physical play not of bad read not of like the first pick against wisconsin last week where it was like what are you doing it's like you knew what he was doing and he just executed it very poorly right Mm -hmm. It was a it was a bad throw. Yeah, it wasn't a bad, bad decision. It was throw. a bad throw. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is bad, but I think is is less bad than in ridiculously poor decision. Yes, but right? I, I guess I would I would also say that he he helped make it a bad throw by just like telling that linebacker where he was yes. going with the ball from the second the ball was snapped. Right. So it was it was not the proper kind of throw for that scenario. And then you exacerbated it by staring him down and like basically telling the linebacker where the ball was going to go in, in the first place. So he also had one, I, th- I think it might've been on the drive where Fleming had the drop where he like threw a quick check down the Travion and Marvin was like wide open. So I thought that's, that's what I'm curious about because certainly uh, one of our texters had put this theory forth. We talked about it on the pick show. I didn't think it was a terrible theory that, you know, CJ sort of bottomed out in 2021 against Tulsa and then had the week off and then bounced back. Uh, Austin had compared it to CJ's Nebraska game, right, which was later in the year against a Big Ten opponent, and then you bounce back. So the idea of a Kyle McCord bounce back, I thought the most important thing he had to do was, from a decision-making standpoint, learn from the Wisconsin pick and not do something like that again. I thought he was tentative then today, though. Mm-hmm. Like, you want him to ch- take check, ta- check downs, they showed that again. You and I are at home. Berm and Austin are at the stadium. We can't see every route that's developing sometimes, but CBS went out of its way to show that one play where Marvin was pretty wide open, and and yeah. Kyle took the check down right away, and he seemed too eager. I think Ryan Day really wants his quarterbacks to take checkdowns, right? Like this was sort of like, like a push and pull with CJ because I think CJ always thought I can diagnose this and figure it out. I don't want to take the easy thing. That's how CJ operates. That's why he was the second pick in the draft. He's having a good rookie year. I thought he was too willing to take the check down today. And that plants the seed to me of if his response to a bad decision against Wisconsin, if he's gun shy at all now and doesn't want to make throws into coverage, mm-hmm. that is not the response you want after a situation like that. I thought when they needed it more in the second half, he made some throws in the middle of the field, but did you feel that at all? Or am I exaggerating things? No, it, it felt that way to me too. I want to look now and see like depth of target stuff. Um, the, the, the staff broadcast says that he had 15 passes that um, were mid-range but mid-range is five to 14 yards so i I think a lot of that was five yards i'm curious to see his depth of target in this game because i don't i don't write down like 
route combinations and stuff was as the game's happening live i try to do that when i when i rewatch the game but i do mark down like check down the g check check down the tray and there's a lot of that in here as i'm like looking through my my play sheet here as i tell the offensive play so i i agree that it did it did feel tentative and then the one time i think it was the one time that he like kind of took a shot to marvin it was a total misfire so yeah it wasn't it wasn't a tremendous response i don't think like he started 11 for 11 right but I don't know how many of those how many of those 11 were thrown more than 10 yards on the field one. Yeah, like even the 11 for 11 I, to like didn't really necessarily feel like what you want like an Ohio State quarterback to be doing. Yeah. The they G-Scott up, touchdown was was nice. It was a nice ball on the tight it, end wheel route. It was a nice ball. Like sometimes you make a throw like that where you force the person to catch it. Didn't it feel it's like I'm going to stick it on your number on your shoulder, you can almost catch it with your neck. Like you, mm-hmm. you don't have a choice but to catch it. I thought it was like, like it was a nice play by G Scott, but I like he stuck it to him. Like it was yeah, the, the ball kind of caught G. Yeah, yeah. And then when G had a chance to make a play in the middle of the field, he yeah, maybe he the did. ball was a little bit out in front of him, but he short armed a little bit. Yeah, like, he short armed. Yep. He missed Cade. How much do you think this offense and, and Kyle McCord missed Cade Stover today? Um. Yeah, I think I think you and if if the game is you know check down charlie for the whole game i think i think that's where Cade stover flourishes catching a five yard pass miss making a tackler miss and then turn it into a 12 yard pass so they probably did miss him a little bit i don't i don't know if he would have helped the blocking effort any any more than g scott did but i don't think Cade would have dropped that ball over the middle of the field and i think he would have uh found some more real estate like underneath against Rutgers defense 17 of the no 19 of the 26 targets 13 14, 15, 16, 17 of the 26 targets were two receivers for 11 catches for 85 yards, which is, so that's the part. Rutgers defense is good. Rutgers defense is not impenetrable, right? Mm-hmm. So the th- the place where Rutgers is vulnerable is against a steady run game. And so we had talked about this when we were previewing the game that Michigan only scored 31 on Rutgers, but Michigan punted on its first possession and then scored or had a scoring opportunity. They missed a field goal on every other possession of the game. And their final possession was like a 10 play drive where they wound up kneeling at the end. Yeah. So Michigan was like in total control of that game after the first drive. They were, they did what they wanted to do. They did what Michigan does. And I know you have to take what the defense gives you, but I find it frustrating in games like this where Ohio State, yes, Cade Stover's out, but they have Emeka Buka. Yes, he's limited, but they have Marvin Harrison Jr. They have Travion Henderson. They still have, you know, G. Scott and Julian Fleming and Carnell Tate are still like the top. If they were the top three skill guys on almost any other team in the Big Ten, if they'd be Penn State's top three skill guys, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, so... And it didn't feel like Ohio State was dictating to Rutgers. Yep. And that, like, especially in the first half. And again, it was another bad first half. They didn't convert a third down in the first half. They were 0 for 5. They were running the ball, but it didn't, like, they were running the ball okay on first down, but it didn't feel like it was getting them anywhere. It was like, oh, that was a nice run of five yards, and, th- and then nothing. And then nothing happened. Um, like, what? Why do games like that happen, do you think? Why don't they dictate more? Like, they went out against Georgia, and you can't compare every game in the world to the Georgia game. I understand that. But a year ago, they go out against Georgia, and they dictate. Like, they're we're going to attack you like this. Why are there days like this where they're taking what Rutgers is allowing them to take for a whole half? Yeah. And they're Ohio State. Well, 
I, I don't, I don't think it's as easy as saying we're going to dictate terms, right? If a defense is going to play two safeties over the top, like Rutgers was doing, it is hard to get those explosive plays. Um, but you can be more efficient. Like I thought that that first touchdown drive, they were running it well. They yeah, got in the, they got in the two play action passes, one to Emeka Ibuka for ten yards, one to G Scott on the touchdown. Set up off of them. I thought running the ball pretty well earlier on that drive, and then I don't know if they ran another hard play action pass the rest of the game. Not until I don't have play action pass written down on my sheet until the fourth quarter. Now, granted, they only ran eight plays in the third quarter, um, but like I thought, they got away from that. Like I thought that was working. I thought that might be the method to take it to Rutgers defense a little bit is like run it because they're not a particularly good run defense, get them sucked up a little bit and then start throwing play action passes over their heads. And like, they never really tried to do it all that much. And I don't know the one drive got thrown off kilter by the sack um, yeah. to put them in second and 19. And then I think the drive after that was when Kyle underthrew Marvin on third down. And then a drive after that was the interception. And then they kind of, just went back to short passing and running the ball for the rest of the game. So I don't, I don't know how it happens. It does, it does seem like Ohio state finds concepts that work and then just lets them work for one drive and then kind of quickly abandons them sometimes. Now in the second half, they did score touchdowns on three of their four offensive drives. So that's, you know, quite good. Plus they uh, had a defensive touchdown, but the mm-hmm. first half punt touchdown, punt, punt, the punt that is the fake punt that doesn't work interception. So, like one score on six first half drives yeah. is this is not the first time they've had a bad first half and they are going to run into a situation where that's going to take them out of that the game matters. before they have a chance to get in it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That's that's my, my biggest worry with them is just wasted opportunities to score points or like empty drives. Like the, the thing that makes Ohio state, Ohio state's defense so good is like the stop rate, like how often they just don't let you score. <laughs> the inverse is like the offense's biggest problem. Yeah. They just don't, they just don't score enough. They don't have enough drives that end with points. Um, or at least in the first half of this game, they didn't to, right. To, to be fair, they did score when they had the ball um, in the second half, but it's like, there's not the thing that's frustrating is like, there's not one reason for that. Right. It's, like I said, like even the drive with the fake punts, like that that fake punt should have never happened. G Scott should have caught that ball on third and five. You know what I mean? Like right. they let like mistakes beget other mistakes, and it just gets out of out of their hands too quickly. So there were. What did you think of the offensive line? What did you think of the offensive line overall? Uh, fine. Like I thought they part of the th- issue, I guess, with not having Kate Stover is that they were an eleven personnel a lot, and they weren't max protecting. So. When Rutgers blitzed, I thought like Ohio State didn't always have enough people to handle that. There were some times where Ohio State seemed to call a slide one way and the pressure came from the other way. So I don't know if that's like bad scouting or like Rutgers changing up some stuff. Rutgers was coming off a of bye week, which I think is probably worth mentioning. Um, so maybe there were some different things there that, that Ohio State wasn't exactly expecting. So like I thought it was okay. Um, Josh Fryer got mixed up on the on the play where they gave up the sack. Um I don't know if there were any other like egregious, egregious mistakes on uh, the offensive line. I thought that I think it was the play where Kyle wound up pump faking and throwing to a Mecca and the Mecca mm-hmm. didn't get the first down. Fryer blocked down like the whole line blocked down and the guy right over Fryer came in untouched and they blitzed from that side. And that guy also came in untouched. Yeah. And so they wind up on a third down with two guys in Kyle McCord's face who are unblocked. And if you watch that play, Josh Fryer blocks down, but 
Matt Jones and Carson Hinsman are in the middle of the line blocking no one. There's no one to block. And there are two free guys on the outside. And so what? what is that? Like, whatever that is, it's bad. Yeah, there were there were I want to say there were one or two plays last week where I felt like one or two guys had a different call. Like there was like a a four-man slide, but like one of the four went the wrong way. Like there there were some things that were out of sync at times with pass protection last week, and maybe some of that was was carrying over to this week. Um I don't maybe maybe it's fair to ask, like, do you spend so much time on getting the run game right that now your pass protection is starting to slip a little bit? Because I actually think their pass protection for most of the year has been pretty good, but the last two weeks is maybe the worst it's been. Last week was the worst it's been. Um this week didn't feel quite as as consistently bad, but there were some hiccups like as as you're saying there. So I, I don't know what that stems from, but it did it did seem like it was either miscommunication up front or uh guessing wrong, I guess, on the call of where exactly the pressure was gonna come from. And then you can tell again uh, the I, the offensive line getting to the second level in the run game. I th- it might have been their first run call of the game. Donovan Jackson was supposed to get to the second level and like got out there, didn't block anybody, and the linebacker that he was supposed to block went in the hole and made the tackle. And mm-hmm. Donovan Jackson like made a U turn and was like following that guy back into the hole to watch him make the tackle. And it's like, well, that's not good. And yeah. then like the next couple of run plays, you could see guys getting to the second level and making blocks, and it's just like. When they're consistent at it, and again, they they ran the, they didn't run the ball well today. Who knows what would have happened? But it's the difference. Like they don't do it consistently. But man, when they get it, they can do what they did at times today. And then a lot of the other times, it's like they're it's that's what's happening, right? They're not getting that block, and then the unblocked linebacker is making tackles on Trey. Yeah, I mean that's why. They, so in this game, this is from game on paper, which at times can be a little off. So maybe this isn't exactly right. Um, they only had four stuffed runs, runs that gain zero or negative, which I think is is not terrible on a day when you run the ball as much as they did. Um, Eleven runs for two yards or more, which were there were a lot of two. There were a lot of twos in there, but they did have sixteen that went for four or more. Yeah, fifty-seven percent of their runs went for four or more. So there definitely were some ones that got blocked up pretty good. I thought they ran one back power a few times where they just had like the one puller with Donovan Jackson or Matt Jones had a really good one where he like climbed up and just buried a linebacker i think it might have been muhammad Torre. and like muhammad Torre like still kind of made the tackle falling through the ground because he's a really good player yeah but i thought that was blocked up well so that was a good play for them that and they used that play to build a play action pass earlier to i think it was the emeka abuka play so there was some good stuff in there the the long run um i want to find it the was it the touchdown must have been trevian have a long touchdown run in this game am i losing my mind uh we just watched the whole game for three and a half hours. I can't remember what happened. Yeah, let me see. I have I, I have it here. Travion, uh, he had a nine-yard touchdown run. Travion had a 27-yard run um, in the fourth quarter where Ohio State last week ran this play called windback a bunch of times, which is like kind of like a zone running play, but like the slot receiver motions in tight and then kind of pulls across the formation. And like he ends up being the lead blocker. And they ran that probably five or six times last week. They ran it a couple times last year. And then in this game, they got into that look. The receiver came across the formation, but then Travion actually ran the opposite way, um, which was like kind yeah. of a changeup. And he got 27 yards on that play. So like, I, I actually think they are figuring some things out in terms of like run game design, sequencing plays, figuring out what works best for their players. It's never going to look perfect. I think you're still you're always going to have a, a probably a, a, a too many two yard runs. Um, or enough to, to drive you mad, but 
if they if they did after the Maryland game kind of like go back to the drawing board and try to figure some stuff out to make this run game more efficient, I think they have landed on some good ideas. It's just that the offensive line is is too inconsistent to make those those ideas hit all the time, but they're certainly hitting better, I think, than they, they were earlier in the season. Trevion, 208 of Ohio State's 328 total yards, 63.4% of the offense for Trevion Henderson. Ohio State actually outgained by Rutgers in this game, which is what happens when you have a pick six. Um, but yards per play, Ohio State averaged six. Rutgers averaged 5.3 because Rutgers did have 13 more plays than Ohio State, 68 to 55. So this is this is one of those things. And I thought, I thought we fell to, into it as a beat uh, during the course of this week where we sort of had a string of questions of like, oh, could you target Marvin even more? Oh, do you need to target Cade more? Oh, do you need to throw it to the running backs more? Oh, did he throw it to the other receivers more? It's like, one kid. It's one ball, man. It's one ball. <laughs> so um, this distribution, it's it's a fine line because you definitely want your quarterback to take a check down and not hold the ball. I thought you could see Kyle McCord thinking to himself, don't hold the ball. Yes. And that's good, right? Is that good or bad? I, th- I think that's mostly good, yeah. I think it's mostly good, too. But it also felt like there were a few times where the, the first read had not even had a chance to really develop, and he was thinking that to himself. Mm-hmm. And so when you have an offensive line that maybe you don't believe in fully, it plants that seed. When you have uh, a defense that is maybe going to give you some different looks, and Greg Schiano was a good defensive coach, right? Like we understand that idea, but I almost thought the pendulum swung too far. So the mistake by the quarterback for Ohio State today was a physical stake mistake, not a mental mistake. So you can work with that. Still a killer mistake. But now I think you have to. Now that you want him to swing back towards, like, don't be afraid to let something develop. Because in another half second, a Mecca would have been open 20 yards down the field or Marvin was about to beat his guy, right? Like you can't give yeah. up on that if you're the Ohio State offense. No, I don't, I don't think you can. And I also think Kyle can be helped too by more play action pass. Like I just don't think they do it enough. Um, I thought it was weird they didn't really do any of it last week and they didn't do enough of it today, I don't think. And it does feel like teams have a little bit of a beat on – the play action shot plays that Ryan Day likes to call, they're just not really hitting at the same way they hit last year. And I think that's a combination of Kyle being hesitant, Kyle not seeing it, offensive line not providing enough time and predictability with, with those calls. Um, so they maybe need to go back to that and, and figure out some new ways to, to get into some of those things. But I think that is a way to get Kyle outside of the pocket a little bit. Maybe he doesn't feel that that the bodies around him as much and is willing to let things develop a, a half second longer. I just think it's hard. And like, he's not, as we said on the, the midweek show, like he's actually not getting pressured at an outsized rate compared to his predecessors. He's getting pressured slightly more, but it does seem to be impacting him. So if he can get himself to spaces on the field where he doesn't maybe feel that, that clock burning in his head, um, that can unlock some more for this offense. So how, ha- how should Ohio State fans come away from this game? Should they be take the win, go home, stuff happened? Should they be reading this, looking ahead to Michigan and be very worried? How would you read this? Um, I don't think I would be 
tremendously worried about what I saw from the defense because they were missing two starters in the back end and by the middle of the game, three starters in the secondary. Um, maybe you're a little concerned about the linebackers. I actually think he's pretty good about the, what they're doing running the ball. Um, but you're certainly not encouraged by what Kyle McCord did in this game because it wasn't a step forward. So probably not feeling great. I don't. I don't know that you should feel great. It's not a. It's not. A, it's not merely a take the win thing for me now because you want to. You want to see them building toward playing their best football when Michigan comes around, and I don't think they're doing that. And I don't know. I don't know if you're seeing them make progress in the areas where you think they need to close a gap a little bit. So um, if you're if you have mixed feelings or even kind of feel bad after after a win like this, I think I understand why. We we did a long show. We would direct people toward it on Wednesday on Kings of Columbus about Kyle McCord. I come away from this, I think, probably slightly more concerned about the quarterback situation because I certainly was leaving open room for like, okay, that was there were some things that happened last week, but this is a chance for a bounce back. And instead it feel like like i said before it went too far it does feel like we are in a cycle a little bit of slow starts and that playing better in the second half is a good thing but the first half clunkiness of the offense it feels like it has happened enough now to make you wonder if there's something going on there right yeah it is like, because I'm sure maybe some people who really like Kyle might hear that and say, "Look, well, you started 11 for 11. Like 11 for 11 didn't feel like a fast start to me, like in right. a very weird way. Yeah. Because like it wasn't, it, it wasn't on the attack. Like it wasn't, right. it was, right. it was sort of, I don't want to say surrendering because 11 for 11 is 11 for 11. Tate Martell would tell you that. Mm-hmm. But it, but it didn't feel like Ohio State was in control it felt like they were saying okay well i guess we'll take this i guess we'll take this and then i mean in a world where you know 11 for 11 is nice but it's punt touchdown punt punt failed fake punt interception like that's that's not what the ohio state offense should be so if you're completing a bunch of checkdowns but you're not converting on third down the third down was really bad in the first half and it's because they were so they had so far to go on third down, like it, the offense wasn't like connected third and six, third and 19, third and seven, third and seven, third and five. Mm-hmm. And they were all failures. The third and five was the G Scott drop over the middle where it felt like a lot of it worked. And then the player didn't make the catch, but like, that's a, like, that's, that's much more important than starting 11 for 11. Yeah. And this like, so the, the, here's the progression of the 11 for 11, three yards, three yards, 10 yards to Omeka, first down, 14 yards to G for a touchdown, nine yards, which was a check down where G Scott broke a tackle, four yards, seven yards, zero yards, five yards, six yards, three yards. Yeah, that's not what you want. No. You can't live in that world if you're Ohio State. You've got to be Ohio State. And as much as everybody, I think, has come around now on the idea of this is a defense first team, Travionic provided the explosion today. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. still had two touchdown catches. There's still DNA at the heart of Ohio State that if they're not going to be that offensively, they're not going to get it done. Yeah. Like when it when push comes to shove, they're not going to win 
as good as their defense is, they're not going to win the national championship game 17-14. Correct. They're not going to win the national championship game playing dink and dunk. Correct. Yeah. So that's what you're coming away from this a little bit. Yeah. All right. Our guy, Mike Yourstowski, our producer, is here. We have uh, questions from our tech subscribers. If you'd like to be a tech subscriber, you can sign up for a two-week free trial at 614-662-4509. You get your phone out. You send a text. You get a link back. You sign up there. You have to put in your credit card. We're not lying to you. But you don't get charged right away. You only get charged after two weeks. And if you don't like it or you don't think it's worth the money, you can type stop and you're out. At any point, you can type stop and you're out. You could do it right this very second. I'm done. Stop. You're out. Super easy. I'm still trying to get out of. We wound up with like, I think, two ESPN plus accounts in our house. And I'm still trying to get out of one of them. And I can't figure out how to do it. I'm trapped. Help me. That's not your problem. Mike, questions from the textures. Where do we start now? Yeah, guys, we're going to start out with Nick. Uh, Nick would like to know, he says, hey, guys, is Rutgers the JV version of the team up north, meaning mobile quarterback, run the ball well, and play defense? If Ohio State struggled at times with Rutgers today, it feels like we're going to be in some serious trouble in three weeks. Even the trick play, right? Mm-hmm. The quarterback passes the ball between, hands the ball between his legs. The double hike, hands the ball between his legs to the running back, is reminiscent of what Michigan ran last year, right? When they handed off and then threw the running back linebacker through the pop pass off the the handoff, right? Like it's a little, that even felt a little bit like Michigan to me. Does that feel apt to you, Landis? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I I think I'm, I'm just curious about this. Rutgers is 40th in the country in rushing offense. Michigan's 43rd. Oh. Who would you, would you rather have Blake Cormer or Kyle Monungai? Right now, this year, I think Kyle Monungai is playing better. Yeah. I I think there's a lot there. I actually think part of the reason, well, what Ohio State usually does, like Rutgers can't handle, mm-hmm. right? When they throw the ball all over the place, like Rutgers can't handle that. Um, so I do think like Rutgers sometimes can hang a little bit with Michigan at times because they're more similar. Like it's, it's, they're used to that. And so, uh, both teams don't mind playing position. Right. So I do think again, you know, I, whatever wrote in 2016, Rutgers will never beat Ohio state. This is almost like a version of that to me of like this, you know, it was there and Mm -hmm. it still was never really there. Right. Cause even when it was there, the Rutgers quarterback can't really throw, and Ohio State still has Marvin Harrison Jr. Like they still have Trevion Henderson, so even that, it's not really there. But I, I, and we're in November, so I at times in my career covering Ohio State have been too obsessed in mid-September with, oh, what does this mean for Michigan? What does this mean for the playoff? And sometimes you take a game for what it is. In November, when the teams are this similar, it's absolutely time to do that. Mm-hmm. So yes, I would say this should get Ohio state back to the drawing board on what are we going to do against Michigan? Because it felt like they could not really stop the Rutgers run game today. They couldn't. And also like, and none of it should have been surprising to them. Like I, maybe, maybe Jim Knowles will say like they did this, this and this differently, because as I said, like Rutgers did have a, an extra week to prepare for this game. And I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I've watched every single Rutgers game to know if this was par for the course or if they were doing different things, but the, whoever the, whoever the play by play or the color analyst was, was like, 
he was on it. He was like calling out the stuff Rutgers was going to do. So I can't imagine um, much of it was very different from what they've done. So the fact that like you knew they were going to run it and then they still kind of ran it is not particularly encouraging. So if that's if that's like where you're at as you think about the Michigan game, I think that's fair. Do you think they need to do something at linebacker? And this would be more Cody Simon at over Steel Chambers, even though yes. it has been getting closer to a split. Where do you think that should be? Especially against Michigan, especially against a team that's going to run it. Yeah, probably, probably less of a split. The thing, the thing that concerns me is like Cody Simon can't be on the field when a team's throwing the ball. Rutgers completed a pass today because Cody Simon fell down, like dropping back in the zone coverage. And I just and, and Notre Dame found some stuff throwing the ball against Cody Simon in zone coverage too. So my answer to linebacker would be play Sunny there. I don't think they're going to get that drastic. Yeah. So Cody, I think, has been much better over the course of the season against the run than steel chambers has been. So maybe, maybe if that's 50, 50, maybe it needs to be more like 70, 30 in favor of Cody. Except when you get into that kind of thing, then Michigan's just going to throw it when Cody Simon's on the field and run it when steel chambers is on the field. And- yeah. Right. Like they're going to, Michigan's going to throw it the Colston Loveland over Cody Simon said the way Notre Dame did the Mitchell Evans. Yeah. Uh, Mike, what else? Yeah, guys, next uh, question comes from Andrew. He says, He's kind of wondering more of an observation that he'd like to get your guys' thoughts on. He thought in the first half today, Ryan Day needed to let Kyle rip the ball down the field more. He thought there were a lot of quick throws and need to trust our receivers down the field against their cornerbacks. Maybe thinking that kind of led to some conservative play from Kyle. I don't like. I don't know how much anybody trusts the offensive line. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether that's that's both in the play calling and in Kyle executing it. And again, I don't know how many of those they were trying to set up that he wound up taking a, a check down on. Right. But I agree. It feels like the last two years they've just been sort of like, well, you know, people are taking away the deep shot. And it's like, OK, but I don't know. Does nobody throw the ball down the field if they drop two safeties deep? I don't like I I guess that's it. You just you can't throw a ball more than 15 yards down the field. I don't know, Landis. I mean, I mean, it, it neuters it for sure. That's why everyone in the NFL is playing two high safeties now. And I think you're probably seeing college football perhaps trend back in that direction. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll see the rise of the, of the rushing attack again here as teams uh, try to build that way. I think that's something interesting to monitor. Um, I don't know. I don't know that Ryan Day is holding Kyle McCord back from throwing the ball down the field. I think Kyle McCord is holding Kyle McCord back from throwing the ball down the field. I think on the list of like what's holding Kyle McCord back from throwing the ball down the field, I think I would put the offensive line and sort of like Kyle himself maybe ahead of the play calling, Mm -hmm. right? That I do. Don't they always, they have shots planned into this and it feels like they just very seldom wind up in a place where they're actually ready to able to let it rip when they call it yes i think that's right and i don't know it's hard when we're watching television because we don't get to see the full view right how often are those guys open down the field and kyle's checking it down anyway i i don't i don't know if that's happening a lot i'm i'm inclined to believe that it's not happening a ton because i I think Ryan Day would say something about it, and I also think the announcers have a different view than we do would say something about it too, which is why when they pointed out on that one play that Marvin was open when Kyle took a check yeah. down, that, that's why that stuck out so much to me. Um, so yeah, I'd put it more, I think I'd put it more on the line and just time and Kyle's sense of, of time to throw the ball. Um, but you don't, 
you can be explosive in the passing game without throwing the ball 30 yards yes. down the field every time. And they don't, I don't, I, I guess I would agree that maybe they don't do enough of some of those plays that you can get like 35 yards on a slant. Like Rutgers had an explosive passing play on a slant because a corner was playing with outside leverage and a safety missed a tackle. That happens all the time. But Ohio State doesn't seem to put its receivers in those positions all that often. Rutgers paired, right? They had that 35 yard slant where, right. They got inside leverage on Hancock. He missed the tackle. Then I think Hartford came over and missed the tackle. And mm-hmm. then they threw a 19-yard t- touchdown on the next play. And at that point in the game, I was like, well, that's – Rutgers is officially more explosive in the passing game than Ohio State is. And it is just like, why is that not happening with Ohio State? Like those kind of plays. Bang, mm-hmm. bang, bang. Right? And Ohio State did have that one drive early where they had a little bit of that. Right? And it felt like the run and the pass were connected. They had a couple play action. But that they don't do that more consistently. Middle of the field, hit a guy on the move. That that I think is more concerning than they don't take the deep shots shots like they used to when they had Chris Olave. Yeah, this is the game. I don't have access to all 22 film. I wish I did. Maybe there's a person or two I can talk to to try to get it. This is the game where I most want to see it. Like yeah. what was going on on those plays when Kyle was checking the ball down, yeah. I think will be very instructive. I agree. Uh, Mike, what else? Yeah, guys, next question comes from the 513. Um, they asked, Rutgers had more total yards in first downs than we did today. What am I supposed to take from that? Rutgers had 13 more plays. Pick six. Pick, pick six, six is part of that. Pick yeah. six is part of that. Ohio State did average more yards per play. Um, but I I do think there's something about the efficiency of the Ohio state offense that you still can take from that. And we've talked about like, even when they're good, like the explosion, right. Is there, but the, just the, the clockwork, you know, they had one drive of it, but like the thing where it feels like Ohio state is leaning on you and they get to tempo. Cause once they feel that they usually get the tempo. Did they get the tempo at all today? They didn't really feel like it. No, no. Like that, like there, it never felt like Florida State's losing to Pitt. By the way, again, it's one of these things. Missouri's mm. about to go ahead of Georgia. I think like stuff happens. Luther Burden but, got hurt. Who got hurt? Luther Burden was just down oh. before they went to commercial. Um. So like that. That's the thing. More plays for Rutgers. Pick six for Ohio State. But also, if you go back in the history of Ohio State Rutgers, like Ohio State beats Rutgers by forty. Like this is. Rutgers throws in a goofy special teams thing, and boy, they fight and they compete, whatever. But it's not this. It's not this. Yeah, Rutgers also. I mean, the, and this is <clears throat> this is not to excuse Ohio State's inefficiencies, but Rutgers got forty five yards on a trick play, basically. They did. Yeah. But but listen, also we talked about it. Like Isaiah Pacheco is a starting NFL running back, and he never really hurt Ohio State in four games against Ohio State. Never hurt them the way Kyle Manungai hurt Ohio State today. And so that's not nothing. This has Mm-mm. been a defense first team. We're not playing like how, how dare the defense not play, but that's worth noting. I that we're also and we already talked about we're carrying that right. You carry that a little bit when you look forward to Michigan. That hmm, some of the things that Ohio State doesn't do as well defensively showed up. Like they didn't really have a chance really to get after the the passer today because they just weren't going to have Wimsett sit back there and do that. And so the result is a quarterback who can move and a pretty good running back. And Rutgers at time moved the ball. And guess what? Like Michigan's got that. Both those things. Yeah. Kyle Monungai uh, ran for 27 yards against Michigan. He ran for 16 yards against Wisconsin. And he ran for 159 yards today. 
That's something, right? Yep. I think that's, that's not fluke. Nope. All right. What else, Mike? Yeah, guys. Next question comes from Matt. Um, he's saying, here's my question. Can this Ohio State team win in more ways than any other team in the country? They remind me of a baseball pitcher without a dominant pitch, but three to four really good pitches that can get him through a game. They're junk calling it. Crafty lefty. Yeah, that's pretty smart, actually. I, I think I I think I agree with that. Um but I maybe at a certain point not having the ninety seven mile an hour heater with movement comes back to bite you. But I I do think I do think there's something to be said for finding different ways to win games. Cause like you can junk right, you're junk balling your way through like a a game in the middle of August and then you get into the playoff and the bases are loaded in the eighth inning. And you're like, I got five good pitches. And, uh, Jose Altuve is coming to the plate and you're like, Oh yeah. They just like, uh, had 101 mile power heater right now. Yeah. They're not, they're not used to seeing your stuff and they're swinging at your slider out of the zone, but then they realize that you never throw your slider for strikes because if you did, you get hammered and then they start spitting on it and make you throw a fastball. And then it's curtains. But, and we have talked about this before. It is incredibly, this is a crazy team. This is an incredibly odd team. They are a defense first team that is not that consistent offensively, that also has four game breaking ta- talents on offense. Yeah. That at any moment, because what you're talking about, what who's your slider out of the zone? Cade Stover. Mm-hmm. Like, who's your splitter? Mecca Buka. Who's your curveball? Trayvon Henderson. And frankly, I don't know if Marvin's not a heater. Is there a heater? Yeah, Marvin. Oh, I don't know. They don't, Marvin's probably a heater. Yeah. They can't throw. They can't throw a hundred. Marv's like, what are you? Yeah, you Marv. About? Marv's probably a heater. That's probably right. Marv's a heater. So, like that idea that there's a foundation because you can't only live by, well, we think this might pop. We think this might pop. You have to have a foundation. So they do. The defense is the foundation. And it, and it's where like my 2002 comparison, which again, I don't know. There's a lot. Of, you take this win in 2002. Except this 2002. Yeah, how many times did score, guys? How many times did they score 35 points in 2002? <laughs> right, and I, and obviously Michael Jenkins, Maurice Claret were awesome in 2002. Yeah. But I mean, like this is more. This is you know, and so um, it is the most explosive, offensively deficient team you ever would want to <laughs> yeah. see in your life. It's like, oh, I can't believe what's wrong with this. Team. Go find a team who doesn't feel great about its offense and then show them the Trevion Henderson play from today. Where he turned an eight-yard pass in the middle of the field into a 65-yard play and be like, oh, isn't this terrible? Be like, oh, my. I wish we could do that once a decade. So um, they they are going to – but the, the thing I think that, that pops up is, A, if they play a ruthlessly efficient offensive team, what's going to happen? Which Michigan might be. And – yeah. If they're relying on that explosiveness, you've got to make sure you give your yourself an opportunity to explode. Yeah. Like I the th- idea that you would get to the Michigan game and be like, oh, well, Marv had five targets for two catches. Like that, I think, you know, that's if you let Marv be Marv against Michigan, you like Ohio State's chances, but you see a game like this and then you think, okay, well, what if that doesn't happen? Yeah. I, I don't. Part part of me feels like we're maybe sounding too many alarms about the defense. Um, like they gave up 16 points in a game when the other team started two drives in in their own territory in Ohio State territory. They did. Um, <clears throat> so like, 
Rutgers was not marching 75 yards down the field repeatedly. All the time, right. And there were like some, like a couple of drives were extended by like dumb penalties. One of them was I thought was a, a terrible call on Tyleek Williams, like kind of like barely shoving a guy after a play, which I don't I don't think should rise to the level of an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, but it did. Um, so I'm still like inclined to believe that if you're going to tell me Ohio State has a healthy secondary, I think they're going to be pretty locked in against a team that's going to be able to throw the ball. I, maybe they didn't come into this game as sharp as they needed to be because Rutgers was really no threat to throw and kind of found some stuff mostly via busted tackles, I think, to, to move the ball a little bit. So got to shore up some stuff in, in the run game and, and get better linebacker play. But I I'm, I still believe all the pieces are there for this defense to be a championship-level defense. That being said, Rutgers started with 3-3 three, three and outs mm-hmm. in the first quarter. Let me read you these Rutgers drives. 10 plays, 76 yards field goal. 8 plays, 29 yards field goal. 9 plays, 44 yards field goal. 7 plays, 55 yards interception. 6 plays, 15 yards punt. 6 plays, 75 yards touchdown. 9 plays, 62 yards stopped on downs. Mm-hmm. That's moving the ball a little bit. Like that yeah, is, but that... the 9, the nine plays, 62 yards stopped on downs, I think had two 15-yard penalties against Ohio State's defense on it. Well, don't make the but, – but they were pass interference penalties that they forced. Right? Uh, Was that the? They definitely had a drive where they had two pass interference penalties because they the, had the the one on yeah. Sunny. The one on Sunny though was one. not like a. The one on Sunny was just a bad play by Sunny. Like there was that guy. There was a terrible throw. Like Sunny gave him gave him a break. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like it wasn't like it was a threatening pass, and you had to do pass interference there to make sure he didn't catch it. No, I know, but like if they wind up in a situation where Sunny Styles is locked in coverage against Michigan, that could happen. Yeah, right. That's that's fair. Yeah. All right, Mike, what else? Yeah, guys, this one comes from Luke. He says, it's beginning to feel like every year Ohio State is really banged up down the stretch. How much blame do you place on the strength and conditioning regimen for that? Is every other team experiencing the same kind of injury issues as Ohio State? It does seem like a lot of players are getting banged up down the stretch here for Ohio State. Certainly was a thing that came up once Jackson Smith and Jigba got hurt last year, Landis, and it sort of mm-hmm. created, a, I think, a question mark in a lot of fans' minds. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I can't answer is how it compares to other teams. Like, I'm, I'm not scouring the injury report for all the, the 130 or 31 other teams there are in, in FBS football to see how Ohio State compares. I guess I can just agree that it does feel like they seem to mount up on Ohio State. Um, I think part of that is they don't play a lot of guys. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe one thing you could look at is snap counts for Ohio State's players compared to some of the other best teams in the country. Because I, I I would imagine that Ohio State's players probably play more. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't, I think it's fair to question like Mickey Murati when stuff like this happens. It seems like it's a lot of soft tissue stuff and sprains and things. That- well, I mean, but like Kyle McCord's an ankle, Marvin Harrison Jr.'s an ankle, Ameka. Yeah, but that's an all ankle. like, but that's all ligament stuff, isn't it? Like it's, I don't know. Marvin got rolled up, right? Yeah, Marvin got rolled up. Devin Brown got rolled up too. Um, like to Ameka, me, it's ham- when you talk about hamstrings and stuff, that's when I raise an eyebrow a little bit more than yeah. some of this other stuff. Yeah, and like Trevion was like a broken bone, I think, last year. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, it's not all the same thing, but I don't know. It just feels like a lot. Like I'm if and and the nature of the availability report, I think, exacerbates some of the frustrations with that. It's like Denzel Burke's not playing this week, and. Kate right. Stover is not on the report, but it doesn't play at all. So, like, doesn't make you feel any better about it. Yeah. It's a fine line. It's hard to figure out because 
nobody wants injured young injured athletes to be forced to play in situations right mm-hmm. and uh i mean it really it, it really you know that jackson had a hamstring early tried to come back re-aggravated it and like that was it was sort of like how did this this feels mismanaged in some way or that this was not um more so to me than than where they are right now with i think i think they've had a little bit of bad luck with some of their best players getting rolled up uh mike anything else yeah, guys, uh, next one, I'm going to lump a bunch of questions that we've had come in. Um, I'm assuming you guys will know what it is about Parker Fleming, but I think this one comes in from Cross, which I think uh, wins the the texter question of the day. He says, the Brian Ferentz Survivor Show needs to be changed to the Parker Fleming Survivor Show. Uh, Great I'll idea. give you the floor, Doug. So, so I will say, I do think it's important to differentiate the Brian Ferentz Survivor Show is really about nepotism more than poor coaching because there's poor coaching all over the place. Just like there's poor podcasting and poor writing and poor play. Like there's a lot of people who don't execute their jobs at a high level on a regular basis. So that's normal. Like employing that person because he is a blood relative is the thing that led to the Brian Ferentz Survivor Show. Now, the next thing from nepotism is hiring your friends, is hiring the easy guy, is hiring the guy down the hall, is hiring the yes man, is hiring a guy because you know you've known him for a while. And I think Parker Fleming fits that category. Was Parker Fleming the best special teams coach in America available to Ohio State? No. Was he down the hall? Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing on his resume that tells you he should be a coach at Ohio State other than the fact that he was already in the building. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So they have three hires like that on staff, Corey Dennis, Keenan Bailey, and Parker Fleming. It certainly feels like the way they've talked about Keenan Bailey, that he was grinding, doing extra stuff, providing extra value in the building, that I don't think anybody is totally against hiring from within, right? But I think those three combined, and then you throw in the fact that Corey Dennis is Urban Meyer's son-in-law, and it calls it into question. Mm -hmm. So now when you have an area that is deficient, when it's coached by the guy down the hall, it does not rise to the level of Brian Ferentz Survivor Show. We will not be doing a Parker Fleming Survivor Show. But if he's a special teams coach next year, I'm not asking a question about anything else the entire year. I'm not going to do that right now because they're in the midst of a playoff chase. And we've asked and whatever, but it's intolerable. And Parker Fleming didn't hire himself. So like Ryan Day, this is like, there's a lot of tests for a head coach Landis. This is one of them, mm-hmm. right? You got to yeah. fire a guy when he's not performing. And, and by any metric, Parker Fleming, who was underqualified for the job when he was hired, is not per- his units are not performing. And I don't know how to judge a special teams coach by anything other than your units are messing up. Yeah, and also just just generally how you feel about them going into the game and going into this game, we felt terrified about their special teams doing something yeah. that would not cost them the game, but perhaps make it closer than it needed to be. Uh, and that happened. Even even when Ryan Day got here, right? Was Matt Barnes on the staff in 19? Was he an initial hire? He was part of Ryan Day's first wave of hires, yeah. Yeah, and why did he hire him? Because he was the special teams coach at Maryland, and they thought Maryland did some good special teams touch against Ohio State, mm-hmm. so they hired him to like lead special teams and also coach safeties, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, who did they hire? 
a current Big Ten special teams coach who they thought his special teams units had performed well. Yeah. Who Why also did they hire provided, Parker Fleming? Because his all, office was near the Coke machine. Yeah. Matt Barnes also provided additional value as someone who could coach and recruit defensive players. So Alle- yeah. Allegedly. It's one of those things. It's like you don't. Every coach hires at least some people that they do it because they're comfortable with them and like creating an atmosphere of, uh, of comfort is not an unworthwhile pursuit as a head coach. You also have to make sure you're simultaneously challenging yourself and bringing in people who think differently because all of a sudden comfort can, can turn into staleness very, very quickly. Mm. Um, but this is a specific issue and, can't be back and i think it's worth a conversation ah because my whole thing with brian ferentz last year was why don't you fire him right now and kirk ferentz was like whoa we don't really do that during a season i'll ask on tuesday ryan why are you considering how did you consider making a move with your special teams coach i don't know what i beat around the bush Ryan, have you given consideration to firing Parker Fleming during this season? Why not? Yeah. Fair? I think so. Is it does it rise to the level of one of the 25 questions that should be asked of Ryan Day on Tuesday? Yes, I think it does. All right. Then I need to ask it before somebody asks, uh Ryan, um, special teams are, I mean, what can I always hate that when like somebody asks the topic in the worst way possible. Yeah. Because there's definitely somebody who would ask a question like, I'm not saying you should fire him when actually that is the question. Yes. Because they're afraid to ask it. But just what can you do? I mean, obviously fans blame the fans. All right. I'll try to raise my hand early on Tuesday. Uh, Mike, anything else? A lot of Texans would be very happy with, with you, Doug. Cause a lot of yeah. Texans have sent in that someone needs to ask that question. Uh, Seth would like to know, he says, I simply don't understand the offense. Pass blocking was great to start the year, and the offensive line couldn't run block. Now, passing situations are making our already shaky quarterback see ghosts because he has two free rushers every pass attempt. What is going on with the offense? (laughs) Now I kind of want to ask that question on Tuesday. (laughs) Uh, I'll just read the text and claim it for my own. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty that does, good, Landis, that doesn't, isn't it? Yeah, that doesn't count as your question. Yeah, <laughs> you're asking, you're just asking that on behalf of somebody. You have, you have your own question, but hey, Ryan, this one somebody paid six bucks to us to ask this question. Uh, do you Seth have any Seth? Seth yeah. in Denver. That's what Seth he wants. Seth in Denver. Seth he can't. He it. lives in mountains. He can't <laughs> get here. Landis, do you have an answer for Seth in Denver? <clears throat> no, no. I mean, other. I mean, I see the same thing. Um, I. I want to go back and look over the last couple of games and look at blitz rates because I like to have teams stumble upon Kyle McCord is terrible on the pressure and this offensive line can't block more than four people. So let's send six and seven every time. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe that's happened. Um, but there have been more like individual breakdowns too. Like I actually thought Josh Fryer had a pretty good first half of the year and that's not had a very good second half of the year. Um, maybe the same for Carson Hinsman too. I also feel like Josh Simmons has been a little better too. So, so like the stuff that was like a little questionable early is a little better now. And the stuff that was like fairly solid early is more questionable now. So there's like, they can't get everything kind of hitting on, on the same page at once. 
the the play where the blitzer ran right through the hole as Josh Fryer was standing there, it looked like a glitch, like a video game glitch that he was like stuck. Mm-hmm. And I understand that it's the call and like he in that moment was believing like that's not his responsibility. That's very frustrating for fans to watch. I think so. That is Ryan. I talked a little bit about that last week. Um, and I tried to ask and probably was too descriptive in my question to get a good answer. Cause I like basically gave Ryan pay play by play and said like, is that what happened? And he was like, uh, I stopped listening to you 10 seconds ago. So, um, but Ryan day talked last week about like offensive tackles, being able to identify who is the more threatening player. And on that play, there were two guys on that side. Josh Fryer knows that G Scott is going to chip and then release. So Josh has his eyes on that end man on the line of scrimmage who actually like ends up running with G and then Josh Fryer has his eyes trained out wide. Doesn't see the linebacker coming from depth right through the hole uh, for the sack, right? It was, that was a sack play. Um, But I think that Josh Fryer has had some issues the last two weeks making that decision. Who is the most dangerous player? Who do I need to block? Who do I need to let go? And has gotten mixed up a couple of times because of that. And sometimes are there tackles who can make the wrong decision and they're so athletic they can figure it out on the fly anyway? Yeah. But on that play, Josh Fryer like Don't play for Ohio State this year. Jumped out to his right and then just kind of stayed there. And then by the time he realized what was happening, it was too late. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, like it's not, it's not just it's not Chase Young's on the other side lining up over Ohio State tackles and just destroying them one on one. It's not. It really is not, right? In the pass protection. That's not what it is. No, it's it's identifying it's what they should stuff. do in the moment. Yeah, yeah. All right, Mike. Anything else? Yeah, guys. Uh, Clayton uh, would like to know. He says, "Should Ohio State fans be worried that it is November and Jim Knowles' defense is looking leaky again? Was this a trend for him also mm-hmm. at Oklahoma State?" So Ohio State fans believing it was a trend last year, right? Because oh, 10 games in last year, people felt pretty good about the Ohio State defense. Do you think it's leaking, Landis? I don't know that I agree that it's that it's leaky. I, well, I guess I would say that this is the most leaky that it has looked. Um, I don't know that if I consider that I consider that a trend from previous games. Um, I'm looking at Oklahoma State in his last year there. In November at Oklahoma State. 2.3 yards to play against West Virginia, 6.3 against TCU, 1.8 against Texas Tech, 5.3 against Oklahoma, uh, 3.9 against Baylor in the Big Ten Championship. So I don't know that I see a trend there. Uh, so, I, no, I, I don't. I think if if over the course of this season teams have found ways to hit explosive plays on Ohio State's defense, occasionally then I, I would have maybe my antennas up a little bit and, and be more worried than I am but it hasn't happened and like I'll repeat myself from what I said earlier in the year like Jim Knowles said like last year we we're giving up explosive plays at Toledo and Indiana yeah and the fact that they did it against the best teams they played at the you know most egregious clip ultimately probably shouldn't have been all that surprising they haven't done this all year so I, I don't know if that's what we're staring down here. I, I mean, if if I'm wrong, I'll own that. We can talk about it when when the time comes. But I, I don't know that I'm worried about that right now. And actually, today was actually pretty much in line with what they've been this year, which is like maybe let some people get some first downs, but then stand up when they need to. Mm-hmm. And those goal line stands in the red zone and holding them to field goals instead of touchdowns. And they only scored one touchdown. And they did have a couple short fields there. I, I actually, is pretty in line. And they weren't they weren't giving up big plays. Again, they gave up a big play on a trick play, 
but I, I don't know that this is outside the realm of what they've been doing all year, except maybe a little more success by the opponent running the ball consistently, but they still only gave up one touchdown. Yeah. They gave up the 35 on the slant that had the missed tackle. Yep. And the, I mean, I think, I think anything over 10 yards is probably, it's probably correct to consider that an explosive rushing play. But I think when you really get the troubles, when teams start ripping off like 20 yard runs on you consistently, uh, they had the 45 yards on the trick play and then didn't have another run over 17 yards. So, um, there were one, two, three, four, five, six other runs of ten yards or more, which is worth noting. But I don't, it's, I don't think they were like consistently chunking them. All right, Mike, let's do one more if you have it. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say this is a good one here from Rob. Um, he's and there was a lot of a lot of texters that kind of sent in more so comments than, than questions, but about this and and kind of summarize it. They're they're really saying that they're not having fun watching this team. And Rob would like to know. He says, I'm trying my best to live in the moment, but it's just not fun watching this team. He says, I wasn't a fan back in 2002, but is this what it was like back then? So we are not the people who could comment on that. Um, I would say one of the things is no, because you can't recapture the underdog feeling of 2002, right? Because Tress comes in, the end of the Cooper era is about failing in the biggest moments, you know, Tress beats Michigan in 01, but all of a sudden you're doing this in 02 and nobody expects it. And I don't think anybody was complaining along the way. I'm like, I can't believe they only won by five. You know, like that's not what that season was about. And then when Urban Meyer sort of establishes this and the Ryan Day establishes another thing with Ohio State, you can't recapture that part of it. Now, they're number one. Georgia's tied at the half. Florida State's going to be tied at the half. Texas should have lost today. Like they're number one. Uh, go for a walk. I thought this game sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the broadcast sucked. I thought the game sucked. It was the Rutgeriest Rutgers that ever Rutgered. And like that's to Rutgers credit. They Rutgered it up, which means it's not fun. So there's like, there's no explosive pass plays. Like there weren't that many big defensive plays other than the pick six. Like it was not, I was watching the game thinking like, this is not fun. Mm -hmm. So go for a walk. What's fun for Ohio State fans is being undefeated. Very fun. Being number one. Very fun. Having Marvin Harrison Jr. Very fun. Having JT Tumolo out. Having Denzel Burke when he's healthy. Having Trevion Henderson. Mm -hmm. So, but even while you have all these wonderful things, I would agree today. That sucked. Yeah, it is. Sometimes it's more of a it's more of a grind, and and this this was that. Um, yeah. Even if it ends up with uh, you know being a thirty five to sixteen win, this was uh, yeah not the most not the most compelling television. So uh, I I don't know. I don't know that I would say that you should feel that way like all year. Like Notre Dame, won by a touchdown. Take it, baby. Yeah. That's, a, that's a that's a classic. Uh, Penn State. One by eight, take it. Huh. Boom. Uh, you know, I hate saying boom. Yeah, no. You don't, you don't your have, business. Yeah, you don't have to have uh, Rutgers uh, shoved down your throat and enjoy it. Like <laughs> I, I, I'm on board with that. No. And no Rutgers next year. No Rutgers yeah. next year. So that's okay. I also thought we were talking about like CBS noon. That did not get you fired up for college football. First of all, there's no pregame show. 
What did you learn about paella in the pregame show? I didn't, I didn't learn anything other than because I, I had the sound off. But I just like I I was watching. I had like game day on one TV and big noon on the other TV. And then I flipped over to CBS, like, I don't know, five minutes before the Ohio state game was supposed to start. And there were like a guy and a girl in there, like making taquitos and they were getting judged by somebody. It's like, what is this? Yeah. No, no juice. No juice. And I, I, I was going to do the whole podcast on the Ohio state Buckeyes beat the Rutgers Scarlet Knights on Saturday. Kyle McCord. Didn't have his greatest game, but somehow managed to find Marvin Harrison Jr. for two big touchdowns because that was the way the entire game was announced for three and a half hours. Yeah. And everything was said in announcer voice where you start like this at the beginning of the sentence and then you do this at the end of the sentence. And it drove me crazy every moment of the game. Yeah, well, the, <sighs> you, and I, you and I came in with uh, you know preconceived notions of Tom McCarthy. Who is who his full time job is being the Phillies play by play man, and he stinks. <sighs> Bring me Gus. I know, like pe- nobody's perfect, but um, it we knew, and this is why we talked about it at the beginning of the year. This was an adjustment for Ohio State fans for real to not have as much ESPN to have these new CBS and NBC announcer crews in your life, and um. Like some of it's been okay. We were kind of talking about, I think people are coming around a little bit on Noah Eagle and Todd Blackledge on the NBC mm-hmm. stuff. I thought today, I thought the whole package today was a turd. Well, you so, got, you got the, you got the C team for CBS cause they got the triple header. And yeah. Ohio State got the short, got the short straw. And so it's, it's just the nature. This is what it's, it's now sometimes when Ohio State plays Rutgers, they score 56 and then it's like, well, at least you get to see that. Mm-hmm. Like it would have, it would have been fun to see like Carnell take go crazy today or something, right? right. We just weren't going to get that. All right, let's wrap that up. Um, this was probably too long given what the game was. <laughs> this post game show was too long given how the game was played and announced. So we appreciate you guys joining us on the post game show here on the podcast. We'll have stuff on Sunday. We'll have uh, Monday morning podcast daily. Landis and I will actually be back, be back then because we'd like to give Berm time to travel when he's out and about, like he is in Piscataway this weekend. And then we'll be back on Tuesday talking with Ryan Day and Jim Knowles more about what is next, which is, uh, is it Michigan State? Is that right? That's right. Michigan State on Saturday night. Saturday night. That'll have a little, is that NBC? That'll be top that black. That is NBC, NBC right? primetime. Uh, yeah, yeah, it should be. Yeah. A little juicier. So anyway, thanks to you guys for joining us here today. Um, for Mike Ustowski. Thanks for producing, brother, making us sound good and look good. For Bill Landis, I'm Doug Lee Maurice. And that was the post-game show on the podcast.